The Lord is leading in Jacob's life here. This is a, a difficult chapter for all involved. I couldn't help but thinking as I heard the scripture reading that, that there, needed some be, there needed to be some premarital counseling here. And it needed to be with the father-in-law. He didn't get it, did he? These are my daughters. These are my grandchildren. Oh, no, 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 they're not. We see the hand of the Lord in it all, the leading of God in these lives. Let us bow before him and ask him to teach us his word this morning. Lord, you are sovereign. You are the sovereign Lord. You're Lord of your church. And to those who have received you as Savior, you're our Lord. And we long for others to know you, the free pardon of sin by your great grace, your mercy and matchless grace, your free grace, your grace extended to man. What a marvel. What a wonder. And if it were not for that grace, we would all be hopeless without hope. Left our own devices and religion and deeds, and yet we see in Christ the fulfillment of all perfections, the payment of our sin and our salvation. Oh, bless us today. Bless your word. Open our hearts. And to those who may be outside of Christ and not understand what we're talking about, we know these things are spiritually discerned. And so we pray that our Savior and the blessed Holy Spirit would open the hearts and minds to these very truths, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has prospered Jacob by giving him insight into breeding the herds over which his father-in-law placed him. They brought up the guidelines that Jacob would only take that which was spotted or striped. And uh, to make it almost impossible to do, or so he thought, Laban removed all of the, those that had spots or stripes on them and took them a three days journey away under the auspices of his other sons. When Jacob told Laban it was time for him to leave, and to go back to Canaan to take his family with him, that didn't set very well. I'm a noticer, and I don't mean to overhear conversations, but I just do. I guess it was being raised with a beauty shop in our home, and the ladies talking, that may have had something to do with it. But this week I was traveling, and as I sat in the airport, long hours waiting for a flight, uh, these two ladies behind me were talking, and they were, I mean, they, they were mothers-in-law. Both of them were had in-laws, and they were giving down in the country their their to sons-in-laws and daughters-in-law and grandchildren, how taken advantage they were. And, and I couldn't help but to think about the text today and, and, and Laban's ideas about all of that. How could you? How could you? I've done so much. And then uh, when I landed in, in Houston and had another several-hour layover, there was a couple beside me, this young, beautiful young couple, and this guy was pleading his love with this girl, telling her all the reasons why she should not go to Fred or whoever he is and take him. It was, it was so sad. I wanted to place a vote for the guy and say, go with him. He seems to be nice enough. And he was just telling her, he's a loser, all of those things. And she would just sit there. And I thought, well, she just not, she didn't respond. And so he talked to her till she left and she got on the plane and she landed here in Birmingham. And I, at the, at the baggage collection place, I saw Julie or whoever she was. The names have been changed for the people that's involved. And she went straight to Fred. She did. You know, Fred was here to greet her. And uh, he may be a loser, but Julie went with Fred and he didn't go with, what's his name, back in Houston. Uh, these things get complicated sometimes, don't they? And 
could you get any more complicated than what we have before us in Genesis chapter 31? When Jacob told Laban it was time for him to go home, and, and know, knowing that Jacob, knowing that Laban, and Laban knowing that he had taken advantage of Jacob, first by forcing him to marry both his daughters and committing bigamy, which Jacob had no intention of marrying both of his daughters. Then by changing his pay ten times, I'm not sure what all that entailed, but, but Jacob and Laban both knew, and the daughters knew about it. And by making him work 14 years for his wives and spending that dowry money on himself, that's what they were saying when they said, our father spent the money. He took all that money that he should have paid you, and he spent it. And six years for the cattle that he was leaving, and, and the Lord blessed him. He, had a, he was richer than Laban was, and Laban didn't like that a little bit. Laban, always working an angle, says in, in chapter 30, when he heard the news of his son-in-law leaving with his grandchildren, Appoint me your wages, and I will give it. I will give it. It reminds us of Abraham to the king of um, Sodom when he offered him the tithe. He offered him the spoils of the war, and, and Abraham said, No, I won't take a shoe latchet from you. To which Jacob responded in verse 31, You will not give me anything. Now, that's, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? How many of us in that circumstance who've been cheated ten times out of wages and done this way wouldn't have taken him to the bank? But he knew Laban wouldn't do it anyway. So he said, no, I, I'm not going to take anything from you. And so the Lord had given, we learn in this chapter, Jacob insight into breeding animals. He later tells Leah and Rachel exactly what happened. Look in verse 7 in chapter 31. And your father deceived me, changing my wages, but, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he thus said the speckle shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckle. If he's changed it and said Let them, the striped ones or the ring straight, then the Lord allowed him to, to bear ring straight. God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. Both Laban and, and Jacob had agreed to the plan. Laban removed all the striped ones and sent them away. And, uh, but God was with Jacob. Do you see the, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God in all of this? And God is omniscient. You can take all the spotted ones away, but God knows which ones still have the genetic DNA within them to produce spotted and, and ring-straight ones. And he gave Jacob that knowledge. God cared so much about Jacob and his plan that he had promised to Jacob that he intervened here and he guided him. And he blessed the breeding of the animals over which Laban had placed him. And the result was in verse 9, he'd taken the wealth, really, of the cattle from Laban and transferred it to Jacob. And, and Laban knew that. God is sovereign. Jonathan so beautifully sang about it. Our Lord is sovereign. You are the sovereign Lord. He rules over all things. He knows all things. God prospered Jacob because he chose to bless Jacob. We've seen Jacob not on his best day, haven't we? You and I might not have chosen to, to bless Jacob, but God did. He has all the information. He knows all the possible outcomes of the choices that you have to make today. And you come this morning knowing that the repository of all truth and wisdom is the Lord. Would you say amen to that? He is the wisdom of God Christ, our Savior is. In Him dwelleth all the wisdom of God. He is wisdom personified. And no matter what you're facing today, the God that we worship knows all the outcomes ahead of time. Now, we don't. We have a difficult time sorting through it all because we lean to our own understanding, which is fouled up, isn't it? It's depraved. It's messed up. Our, our thoughts 
just think about your thoughts <laughs> for a moment here. <laughs> are you going to depend on that? <laughs> you can't remember where your car keys are right now. If I, if I were to give you $10 to find them, you couldn't find them. If I were to ask for your, you know, your something that you should have, you, you'd have to be hard put to find it. I can remember the box number of my college post office box, but I can't remember vital information that my wife tells me I need to know, but I tell her, you know it, so that's why I don't need to know it. Why do I have to remember the children and the grandchildren's social security numbers when, when you've, got that, you've got that down and I can just ask you and I don't need to know all those things? Your own wisdom, your own knowledge is, is kind of spotty at best, isn't it? But the Bible tells us that's why we should pray. And ask God, in James 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, which we do, some of you are facing some decisions right now. You came here this Lord's Day said, Lord, speak to my heart. I need to know what to do. I need to know what direction to go. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That'd be a good place to start, wouldn't it, since he knows everything? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all the possible outcomes of every possible choice that you could make today. That's who we should ask. Why would I lean to my own understanding when I don't know anything? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't fuss at you for asking. You and I might tell each other, I've told you a thousand times. I've told you. I, I have to confess, I had, I had a rental car this week. And, you know, you have to fill, have it, leave it full when you take it back. So the night before I was supposed to take it back, I was smart, checking everything off my list. I was going to fill up the car. I couldn't find out how to get the, car, the gas uh, open. I, I looked everywhere, you know. In the ancient vehicles we have, there's little levers you pull, and it pops open the thing. I went outside. There was no little thumb thing to pull it out. So it was smooth, you know, to the car. Are you following me? Didn't know how to get it. How do you open that? Claw it? You know, how do you get that open? So I kept looking for buttons. I looked on the steering wheel. I looked in the floor. I went to the, this was after, I this was late at night, after a long pastor's conference. I went to the little man in the little booth there by now with all the glass, and he was talking through that little thing. Do you know how to get, I'm trying to buy gas from you, but I, don't, I can't get the car open to put gas. And he looked at me like, you've got to be the craziest. I said, it's a rental car. I don't get out much. I don't know. I've never, I don't even, I can't even tell you the name of the car that it was. So he said, I'm sorry, I cannot help you, dummy. You know, that was what he wanted to say. You shouldn't be driving around. And so I got in the car. I went to the hotel. There were valet people there. And I said, and they looked like they didn't know much either. And I said, I need, I need some help. I really would like to put gas in this car. I don't, I don't know where the, I don't know how, to, can you show me where the lever is? So three guys combed the car. Looked everywhere, pushing, shut. They opened the hood, came open, the trunk came open. I, I didn't feel so bad then because, hey, these are other people. They couldn't either. Finally, one little guy just went and punched the thing, and it popped open. Who knew? I mean, is that easy? And I have almost a Ph.D. from the university. If I were to write my dissertation from the University of Alabama, I couldn't get the gas. You're going to ask me for wisdom? You're going to ask me? You're saying, you're our pastor. We, better, we need to meet after the service here. But God knows. In your situation, it's not humorous. You know, it's like, do I have surgery or do I change jobs? Or What about my soul? Am I saved? Is this all real? 
If I were to stand before God tonight, if, I were, if my soul were called to give an account to the triune God of the ages, where, what would happen? God tells Jacob it's time to go home to Canaan. I wish it was that easy. Don't you wish that God would just say, Chris, it's time to go. You need to you know, make that decision. He doesn't do that. So we're hard put at times, aren't we? The blessings of God, the promises of the birthright, all center in Canaan, not in Mesopotamia. He's, got a long, he's, there's a, he's, he's not where he should be for, the, for God to do what he's going to do to God, to the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God has seen him here for over 20 years. He let that happen. Jacob needed the rough edges knocked off of him. And faith, let's face it, they're not all gone yet. It's called sanctification. Can you say that with me? Sanctification. This is what it feels like. It it's not, doesn't feel good sometimes. It's very humbling. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't look like Jesus Christ in this heart. It's all I know about in God's working. God has seen him here for 20 years, and time has come to settle matters with Esau. Don't you know he's looking forward to that family reunion? Oh, Esau. You thought Laban was bad. He's got to go back and face Esau. So that things can be reconciled. Life's hard, isn't it? It's time for Jacob to go back home. What is it time for you in your life today? Where has God brought you to? What is the Lord speaking to your heart about? Someone has said that up till now, Jacob has been motivated by two goals. To get married. Whew. How'd that, how'd that work out, Jacob? All my problems will be solved if I just marry her and her and, you know. A lot of people think that just getting married, they'll be happily ever after because they watched Doris Day and Robert, whatever, Redford, or I've got the wrong, but you know, they get in the convertible, they ride off, and everything's just, everything's over with, but the life, the living, the, the, the two heads budding, and difference of opinion, and uh, aging, and all the stuff that life brings with it. So he got married. That, that didn't solve everything, did it? <laughs> and those of us who are married laugh and say, you thought that was going to take care of everything? It's wonderful as it is, darling. I did not, no, no complaints. And, and to get married. Then the second goal was to get rich. That's what some of you are working on now. Okay, marriage didn't do it, but I'm going to get rich, and then I'll, I'll make a name for myself, and make, I'll be a success, and people will respect me, and I'll have stuff. How, this is not easy for Jacob. He's got stuff, but it's... What do you do with it? You fight over it. You argue with it. It's, there's a difference of opinion about it. Money and marriage can feel the deepest, can neither, neither money nor marriage can feel the deepest needs of a heart. Only the Lord can do that. Only being rightly related to him, being in the center of God's will can fill the heart with peace and, and assurance that everyone so desperately wants, even though they don't know how to form those words. Those who are outside of Christ... What a sad and lonely place that is. But if you're not in Christ, you're outside of Christ. And, and you're not saved. And you have not been brought to that place of repentance and, from your sin and faith in Christ alone for salvation. May I tell you today that you will remain empty and unfulfilled until you come to Him. And those of you who are saved, but, but may be away from Him. You're like Peter in that interlude of time before the day of Pentecost. You're wandering from afar. You're just stumbling around. You know stuff. You know what to do. You've been taught, but you're just, you're just out there. All the money on Wall Street cannot fill that void in your heart. All the cars, all the relationships, God's will alone can do that. 
But doing God's will is not always easy or convenient, is it? Jacob is doing God's will, but there's all kinds of problems with it. And we, so God begins to work on us to move us in the right direction. And those of us who've been saved, we have a testimony. And that testimony is this, whatever it may be, what God did to bring us to this place. I met a, a young seminary student this week, just glowing. And I said, how did you come to Christ? And tears immediately filled up his eyes. And he said, I was one day from taking my life. I had done it all. I would have used my own mother if it would cause me to get higher up, and, and it did. Didn't care about anybody. I tried Buddhism, Islamism, Hinduism, you name it. All an empty shell. And he said, get this church. I found a copy of the Gospel of John. You know one of those little pamphlets? I said, yeah, I know. I know one of those little pamphlets. And he said, I just sat down. And the last thing I was going to do, I said, I might as well read this. And he said, the Holy Spirit of God, now I know, just absolutely arrested me, took over me, and I bowed to Jesus Christ. Doing God's will is not always easy. It's not always convenient. And so God works. Aren't you glad of the work of God, the work of the Spirit? Here we see God at work in a believer's life in determining the will of God. I've heard some people say, well, I would be willing to do the will of God. Yeah, Jacob heard God say, Jacob, get up and go. It's time to go. But he's not speaking like that. He doesn't just speak audibly from heaven. And our, our pastor, I would do the will of God if I could be certain of what the will of God is for me. I, I'm so muddled right now. I, don't, I really don't know. Sometimes there's some doubt about how to know God's will. In fact, that's one of the thorniest things that we as, as God's children have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. You may think it's easy enough for Jacob to know he has dreams and stuff to help him out. But I, I, don't, I don't have that. After all, God spoke to him in a very real way. How can I be sure he is speaking to me today? Let me just give you three little things here. This is an aside, okay? And uh, not quite in the middle of the message here, but, but it will help us. First of all, at the top of the list is a, is a principle every believer should have emblazoned etched, carved, engraved in their heart and mind. What saith the Lord? That's the first question you ought to always ask about anything, any decision. Does God's word address it? What does God's word say about it in, in principle or in guidance or in precept or instruction? In, in, do I find it in God's word? What, what should I do? There are many principles that God tells us to live by. I wanted to tell the young girl who was trying to choose between the boys, I wanted to say, well, is he saved? Of course, I didn't, didn't stick my nose into it, but that would be a good answer to that question. Is she saved? You know, and first, if she is, you're to marry only a believer. You see what I'm talking about? There are principles that tell you what to do in direct ways. Now, some, some are not quite so obvious, but, and, and so we, we need further help. If there's not a clear command, there are principles, as, as I've mentioned, given to us in his word that will guide us. Find them out. That's why we study God's word. That's why we hear it preached and go to Sunday school. What does it say? What does the Bible say about it, that thing, that problem, that thing you're praying about? The authority of God's written word is just as binding as if he were speaking audibly from heaven today. And do you know how I know that? God's word tells me that. Remember Peter? Peter was there on the, at the transfiguration. He saw Jesus strangely and wonderfully illumined and transformed before him, a, just a preview of what he's going to be in glory. 
The authority of God's written word is just as binding as if he were there. In fact, Peter said in Second Peter, we were there and we saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. But he says it is, it is more, this is, is this true? He said, I heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But we have a more sure word of prophecy and we do well to take heed to that because it is like a light that shines in a dark place. He's speaking of the written word that, that he was pinning under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my word shall not be broken. Not one jot or one tittle will pass away till all is fulfilled. And so the principles given to us there are not suggestions. God didn't say, if you want to try this, it might work. No, that, that command or that principle is what God has said finally about it. We see here in, in Genesis chapter 31, the principle of determining God's will. Jacob was in a strange land, wasn't he? Some of you are in a strange situation. You're, you're, you don't know what to do. He had been there for 20 years. He knew he couldn't stay the remainder of his life there. He knew he wasn't supposed to. It's kind of like those people who've gone off to school and they've graduated, then what? You know, where do I go? What do I do with this now? And there Jacob was. How much longer then was he to tarry where he was? When was he to start out for his old home? How could he be sure that God's time was now for him to, to move? And remember, there'll be six more years before he actually packs up and leaves because he's got to get his wealth together. Note the answer to them is found here in three things. First, a definite desire sprang up in Jacob's heart to return. This is evident back in chapter uh, 30 in verse 25, where he says, It came to pass when Rachel had borne him to Joseph to him, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go into mine own place, into my country. But, but desire in itself is not enough. We've been studying the qualifications for pastors and elders. And that portion of Scripture that gives the requirements is, He that desireth an office of bishop desireth a good work. And so God does work with, by desire. Those of you who may not know Christ, do you want to be saved? Do you desire to be saved? Do you desire to be a child of God? He puts that desire there. You act on that. You go to Him. But desire, alone in making a decision like Jacob, he needs more. But this in itself was not sufficient to warrant such a vast move. So Jacob must wait a while longer. Secondly, we say, first of all, God works in desire. Secondly, the circumstances became such that the move was the only thing he could do, really, wasn't it? The, The jealousy of Laban and his sons made it intolerable. He could no longer stay. This is an evidence of God working all things together for our good. The good, the bad, and else all mixed together will work together. From thy, and then, then there was the clear word of God. Go to your, the land of your fathers. It's not always that God gives us a manifestation of these three principles, but whenever they do combine the desire, the circumstances, the principle of his word, we be, may be sure that his, of his will in the matter. The most important thing is for us to be willing to wait. It'll be six more years before Jacob actually leaves. We're so quick to want it done now, signed, sealed, and delivered, microwave it, order it, send it yesterday. There's a sign out here, if you want it tomorrow, order it tomorrow. We'll get it to you tomorrow. If you want it then, we'll get it to you. What do you want? You can have it however you want to. But you cannot do God that way. Sometimes he does gloriously, instantly answer prayer, doesn't he? But sometimes years pass. 
Because God is always working on both ends of the line, isn't he? Not only in your heart, but the hearts of others. Tell him your perplexity. Ask him to prevent you from making a mistake. Would you cry out if you're in that situation, Lord, don't let me blow it. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do the wrong thing. If you'll show me the right thing to do, I will do the right thing. To that kind of heart, God will reveal his will. Lord, I I don't want to mess it up. I want to do your will for my life. Please show it to me. He will make his way plain before us. And we're to wait patiently until he does. That's the problem. Patience. Oh, we hate it. We hate to wait for anything. Remember that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so we must be firmly convinced that this is a matter of the Lord's will. Ask him to block you. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, put block me from making the wrong decision. Cross my path. Fence me in. Put a chain on me and pull it back. Yank it. Have you ever seen somebody? I saw a guy walking the other day on the corner here. It always amazes me. These people who live in these apartments, they have five big dogs. I mean, these dogs were the size of horses. And he had them on one chain. And it was at the, at the intersection out here. And, you know, one was deciding to go. He had three over here and three over here. I think is what it was. And he just went like that. And they all, you know, they came back. It's a very vivid picture. God, you yank, you yank my chain. You keep me where I'm supposed to be. I don't believe that would feel real good sometimes, does it? But it shows us who's boss, doesn't it? Who's in charge? You? You? Who can't find the gas door? Who doesn't know how to put gas in the car? I tell you these things and you still come. That is amazing to me. You're going to ask, you're going to lean on that to get you to heaven, to help you make a decision that the life is in the balances and the souls of children unborn? He that believeth shall not make haste. Well, that's a verse to think about, isn't it? Having determined God's will, Jacob then reveals it to his family. That's where it falls apart sometimes. Darling, this is what God wants us to do. Our darlings, this is what God wants us to do. (laughs) That's where sometimes it just melts. Many a person has had it crash there. Notice his prudence in handling the matter. He doesn't tell it in the tent. He goes out into a field and tells it. Don't overlook a, a, a single circumstance in the Bible. The Bible tells you that he takes his families out into the field. Why? He didn't want them to hear about it. There are all kinds of... Things going, intrigues going on in the family of of Laban. And he tells him in verses 5 through 7 of our text, this is what God has laid on my heart to do. Now, now Jacob, man, Jacob is not coming in there, bless God, I'm the head of this household, and you do what I tell you to do and get, you know, make it snappy. No, he's, he's revealing his heart before the Lord. And God is working in their hearts at the same time he's working in his heart. It's wonderful when the Lord does that, doesn't he? Amazingly, Leah and Rachel agree. Yes. Now, I'm not saying they're the most spiritual people on earth. Rachel's got, she's stolen God, her father's gods, got idols. And you know why? Because those were used, those were the teraphim. The word teraphim is a, is a change of the word cherubim. And they would use these idols. By the time Michael, David's wife, comes along, they're made in the shape of human beings, and they're big as men. She put, remember, she put one in the beds to trick the people that, my, that David was there, but he really wasn't there. It was a teraphim. And they would ask of the teraphim, tell me what to do. 
You see, people who don't want to ask God, they go to other means, don't they? How stupid can you get? At least when I couldn't find the, the gas tank, I went to people who could tell me to go to an idol. Did I go to a post and say, oh, post, I need to put gas in this car. They're going to charge me double if I don't, don't do it. I need wisdom. You know, let's face it. But the teraphim were, they were used like soothsayer, palm readers. They would go, and, and she knew that Laban would go and ask the teraphim where they were, and she thought the teraphim would tell her father where they were. See how people do? When we have God at our disposal, the wisdom of the ages, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our Savior. These teraphim, Jacob was, I mean, Laban was bent out of shape over That's He couldn't. He couldn't fault Laban for Jacob for leaving because he knew he was going to leave. He couldn't say he stole his, his herds because that was the business deal. He knew that God had given him those. So what does he, he make? Why is he chasing them anyway? That's what so people, many people do. They, they chase after God and, and try to, to make God fit their situation. And all he could do is say, somebody, why would you leave and steal my gods? Jacob has had it just about up to here with his father-in-law. I can see some of you have been there before. And he unleashes. If you, you know what? It, it, the law of the land at the time was if you, if you stole somebody's idols, it was a capital offense. That's why I said, if you find, whoever you find it with, you can kill them. It was his beloved wife who had done it. The Lord somehow caused him not to find the idols, because God is going to get Jacob to Canaan. Do you know he's going to get us to heaven? It will be in spite of us. It will not be because of us. It will be because of the grace of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because we've, even those of us who know him, fight and claw the whole way, don't we? Some will be dragged like Lot out of Sodom. What a pitiful comparison to our day. We say, who, who would be so stupid as to won't tariff him, whatever they are? <laughs> By this time, they were small enough for she could sit on them, but they will grow. Men's idols always do, don't they? Who would do such a silly, such a stupid thing? Oh, but people all around us consult all kinds of things, don't they? Seducing spirits, Satan's deception, anything but the pure, unadulterated Word of God which, by the way, will always tell you the truth about everything, every time. It is the word of truth. And so we have here the absolute word of God. Laban is an example of a proud, haughty, scheming, and self-willed man who would not bring himself to apologize to Jacob or his daughters or his grandchildren. He was wrong. He made a fool out of himself, but all he would do is kiss them and give them a silly blessing. What blessing? Coming from a man like that, what would that matter? There are all kinds of people who are like that. How different would things have been had he humbled himself in genuine repentance, but he could not or would not bring himself to do it. He kisses his daughters and his grandchildren he does not embrace Jacob, which shows his heart. We belie ourselves by our actions or in our countenances. We can tell how people feel about us, by how they avoid us, by the looks on their faces, by how far away from us they try to get. He does not embrace Jacob. He clearly 
openly does not embrace Jacob so he can show his feelings toward him. Showing a heart of bitterness toward the one that he had wronged. And so Laban goes back to Haran, back to Mesopotamia, back to the darkness, the paganism, the idolatry, never to be heard of again. Look at the very last word, verse, verse 55 of chapter 31. Early in the morning, Laban rose up, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them, and Laban departed and returned to his place. That's all that's ever said about him. Nothing else is ever recorded about him or his sons in the Bible. Laban is a worldly, covetous, idolatrous, scheming man who is now alienated because of this from those he loves the most. That's what sin does, doesn't it? Here's the one who had had the blessing to learn firsthand and up close about the one true God. For over 20 years, he's had that privilege. And some of you have heard the gospel much longer than that. He saw God at work in Jacob's life. He saw God bless and guide and provide for Jacob in miraculous ways. that You could only say God did that. Even Laban would have had to admit that. He had enjoyed the blessings of God. He personally benefited by Jacob's presence. But in spite of it all, he continues on just the way he's always been. Jacob, being in his life, did nothing to bring him closer to God. He continues idolatrous, covetous, crying over his idols, seeking worldly gain for himself and to the exclusion of all other considerations. Instead of seeking God's forgiveness through repentance and faith, he just more deeply resented and coveted the blessing that God gave Jacob. Someone has said his life is one of those flashing warning signals in the Bible. Remember our Lord said, remember Lot's wife, that kind of look, take note. Here we have a flashing light over Laban's life those religious people who stop short of true, simple, full faith in Christ and continue in their way on the path of their own choosing that leads ultimately to the place of destruction. The writer of Hebrews warns a group of people who had heard the claims of Christ, the gospel of Christ. They'd become coming to the Christian assemblies and they believed what they heard. It made sense to them. They embraced it, at least intellectually. They tasted of the blessings in the sense of a worship service and the truth of, of the, the one true God, and yet had not been saved. They had not believed on Christ for salvation. And the Holy Spirit says this. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. He proposes a question. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by him that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. What, what more can he say 
than to you he hath said, to you who to refuge did Jesus hath fled. For unto the angels hath he not put into subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under subjection under his feet. But we see Jesus. See, that makes all the difference in the world. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So as always, the word of God brings us to a crossroads, doesn't it? place of decision if you let this truth of salvation in jesus christ slip past you just like you're floating on a raft in the ocean and you're way 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 down from where you were supposed to be and then there are those who even get caught out in the undertow if you let it slip past you if you fail to consider these things and the claims of Christ, if you do not repent and believe on Him as Savior, if you slip past it, what then? There is nothing else, the writer of Hebrews says. There's no other way. There's no other, oh, I've missed that, so let me see if I can do something else. The great lie of Satan is this. If he can't get people not to believe the truth, he tells them you've got plenty of time. Don't get... Don't let the emotion of this hour, don't let that preacher get you stirred up and facing your soul and eternity and all that thing. Listen, you've got stuff to do, people to see, things to to do. And the great lie is that I'll deal with this matter someday. I'll sort all this out someday. I'll come to Christ one of these days. Maybe. I'll think about it. And the danger is letting it all slip past until you no longer care or it's too late or you don't even have the faculties to to come. The great word of the gospel is come. And come now. And believe on Jesus Christ and him alone. Laban didn't do that, did he? He he knew about Jacob's God, the one true God. He knew all of the blessing of the Lord. All he wanted was the blessing. He really didn't want Jacob's God. We point you to Jesus Christ and Him alone. I cannot save you. This church cannot save you. There's no church on earth that can. But Jesus Christ can. He is a Savior who came and paid the debt of your sin. All that you've ever done. All that you owe Him. And you do owe Him. You owe to God a perfect righteousness that you can never come up with. It's paid for. Not some cheap little transaction... Oh, the, the, the debt that was paid, a debt you could never pay, was paid by Him. If you come to Christ in repentance, believing on Him to save you, He will save you. As the old song used to say, we used to sing, He will save you now. Will He not do that? Try Him and see. Let us pray.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. And there are so many circumstances and situations and people, ideas. Some are confused. Some um, are entangled in sin or problems or things they cannot of themselves straighten out. And so we come, Lord, asking for you for wisdom. You said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so we ask, just humbly, would you tell us what to do? In every situation, you have a perfect will for every life here. And I pray, Lord, that that though I don't have the, the wealth of wisdom for them that you do, and your word does, and I pray that you would show each one what they need to know. But to those outside of Christ, Lord, I, I pray, I know that sometimes that Many times Satan makes it so difficult and so complicated. And some are thinking about what they'll have to do or give up or what will happen. But I pray that you in your great love and mercy would show them your, yourself to them. And may they, by faith, your word says that if we come to you, we must believe that you are and that you are a reward of them that diligently seek you. I pray that 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 one who is seeking for salvation would just come just now in their heart and mind and bow to Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, would you tell him you need? Explain to him. He knows already, but tell him you need him and that you need to be saved. And you're trusting him and him alone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.